this week's episode, Book Club with Kathy and Kirsten. We read, I'm Just Happy to Be Here. It was a really great book. Um, and I think we had a good discussion about all kinds of stuff from this book. So I hope you read it and can uh, kind of be more involved in our discussion by just having knowledge of the book. If you haven't read the book, I still very much recommend it. I have started an Amazon book club list. I don't know how to find it on Amazon, but it's on there. So maybe you can search wife of the party book club and it'll pop up. There's a link there uh, to, to buy her book. If you're interested, I'm sure you can check it out at any digital library or, or um, real library as well. Thanks for coming back every week. Thanks for all your emails. Um, I appreciate them. I read them all. Uh, Even if I don't get to respond to them, I definitely read them. So thank you very much. And I hope you enjoy this week's episode, Book Club. I'm just happy to be here. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. you guys good how are you i'm good but kirsten you're shaking your head no i don't know i mean yeah i'm fine (laughs) i'm fine just trying to get through the end of school with my kids um which i don't know there's this false sense of like well we're at home so it shouldn't be as stressful the end Mm -hmm. of the school year and it's but it just feels just as stressful and um yeah (laughs) are they in finals this week finals and getting final projects in and just you know just all of that um yes i i I understand uh cruella deville moved into isla's room yesterday (laughs) and was uh, in resident in Isla's physical body until about 4 p.m. when she finished her last project and decided she had studied enough and was going to take a break. She was evil personified until about 4 o'clock yesterday. And uh, and then she was just her lovely self again. And I was like, I cannot wait for this to be over. Um I mean, teenagers. What? Yeah, teenagers, right? Well, there's that, but school, you know, for that little girl, I look at her, her, uh, her. I don't know what you call it. Her like school portal. Every homework, every class assignment, every project, she has an amazing grade. Every test is like failing, and it same. must be same. so. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, same. It's I have anxiety. One of those. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's all anxiety. And as much as you say, do these things to quell your anxiety, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work for her. So I I don't really care what her grade is, but the stress that a test causes. And the frustration of the amount that it can bring down a grade. Yeah. Is 
dramatic because it's like, oh, well, okay, now we're risking failure over something where I'm looking at, you know, I'm getting all fired up to look at those grades and go, and you didn't do this and this and this. And I'm like, you know, they're really great. (laughs) Yeah. I have the same. I mean, Isla has great grades in all her classes, but, um, and she has actually, she has great grades in all her classes except algebra and algebra she didn't turn some stuff in in the beginning of the year and the teacher and I don't blame the teacher the teacher was like the ship has sailed you can't make this up sorry now you're just going to have to really do really well on everything else the rest of school year I don't disagree with the teacher at all I actually think yeah it's your fault you didn't turn it in and you threw it out so you can't even turn it in like you can't even she would have accepted it late except you threw it away so it's completely your responsibility and your fault but it really is hard to watch her and it's she should struggle I mean really she made the bed so she has to lie in it but it sucks to go oh she totally knows this content if you just don't give her a test and I know life is where you have to do shit where it's like a test I get it I get it all the people are like you're too soft on your kids that's all I'm saying. I don't know. I, I actually disagree a little bit. Like I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I'm not into being too soft on our kids and yes, they have to learn. But at the same time, it's like, I think back to when we were in school and it's like, no, you can't use a calculator for this test. You're not going to walk around with a calculator in your pocket. And I'm like, I do. I walk around and put the calculator in my pocket every day now. It's called an iPhone. Like, yeah, right. And of course, our teachers couldn't have predicted that. But the point is, the teachers now know that they're walking around with an encyclopedia in their pockets. Yeah. So it's like the idea of not having open book tests in this day and age seems archaic to me. It just seems yeah. absurd because it's like in real life, you'll Google it. You know, you'll call someone. You'll Well, that and if you had a profession that required you to use that math, you would have a calculator in your hand. If if in the eighties you were going to be a mechanical engineer, I guarantee you had a calculator. But for somebody who was going to be maybe I don't know an art director, maybe you wouldn't have a calculator. Maybe you would because art direction is precise. But I don't know. There's if you're going to be a chef, you may not carry a calculator with you all the time. I get, I understand what your point of view. Totally, and you're right. I mean, <laughs> I wanted to take a test from home. Because it would be so much less stressful. And I hear her in there going, hey, uh, uh, <laughs> Alexa, what's the square root of 482? <laughs> and I'm like, she's just not using a calculator. She was allowed. She's allowed to use a calculator on her test. But that's just too troublesome. Let's just ask Alexa, what's the square root of 242? And she's got the answer and boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of, I kind of have to get behind that. Is it's a really great workaround. It's called being resourceful. And how is Alexa different than a calculator? They're both a tool. I mean, I guess you could make a mistake and punch the wrong number in and get the wrong square root, but really, is that what we're gonna really split hairs on that? So use Alexa. I'm kind of okay with it. Um, you can't do it in the classroom, which is why she was like, I think I want to take my test from home. You know, <laughs> then it's so cumbersome for her to have to. But, you know, to be honest with you, part of her processing shit is exactly that, is that if there's too many steps involved, her processor slows down massively, just like when you have too many windows open on your computer and everything gets slower. So she has to then think and then punch in the calculator and look at what she's punching and double check that that's right. And then look at the answer and then transcribe the answer. 
really, it just matters that she gets the square root of 242. Because she's probably still going to get the question wrong anyway. Because <laughs> she won't understand the process of the algebra problem. <laughs> okay, so I'm too soft on my kids. That's what we're concluding, right? <laughs> Bottom line, you're too soft. <laughs> I feel your pain, Kirsten, with it being stressful. Yes. I, I'm sorry. It's just, it's like this time of year in every grade since like, I don't know, second grade or something. <laughs> it just feels like, oh, really? And then there's one more hoop to jump through and there's something to sign up for for next year. And there's, you know, I don't know. It, I, I just keep thinking like, I, I must be stupid to not realize that this is just like the end of May is just a write-off every year. The end of May through mid-June is just like, okay, why, why would I agree to do anything at this yeah. time of year? Because it's just chaos in this house. And that's normal. I think I need to make like a big post-it note saying it is normal. Like, <laughs> right. By the time you figure it out, they'll both be in college. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then you'll hit mid-May going, something's missing. I, don't, I have, I have all this time. I don't understand what's, what's wrong with me. I have problems now. Yeah. Well, you can remind me then. I, I will remind you because I will be slightly ahead of you. So I will go, no, this is just enjoy it. Just enjoy. I was driving with the girls the other day and I think Isla turned to me and said, are you going to hang out with the same adults when we leave that you hang out with now? And I went, yeah, I think so. She said, why? I said, do you think I'm friends with them only because of you? She said, well, yeah, I mean, I assumed so. I said, so you don't think I hang out with these people without you? She was like, well, you know what? I hadn't really thought about it. I just thought to myself, what's she going to do? Who's she going to hang out with? <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm glad you feel so important in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that I have no social life if you're not a part of it. <laughs> Isn't it fascinating what they think? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Their perspective. Yeah. Or you just go, yeah. where the hell did that come from? <laughs> we were hanging out with um, some friends of ours from the Girl Scout troop a couple of years ago. And the mom suggested reading a book if they were bored. and. The brother said, are you kidding me? We weren't born in the 1800s like you. <laughs> like you. <laughs> From our age. Oh, my God. That's and my really kids funny. knew enough to then to go like, well, that's absurd. Your mom wasn't born in the 1800s. But then one of my kids <laughs> referred to my mother-in-law, their grandmother, as saying something about, no, she was born at the eighteen, the end of the 1800s, right? And <laughs> you're like, no, that's two generations no. before her. <laughs> that's really funny. That is funny. Where they come up with this, I just don't know. Are you going to hang out with the same people after I leave? I, I think she just thinks I'm going to be sitting in my house, lights <laughs> off, Completely alone, surrounded by dogs. Waiting for her to come home. <laughs> waiting for her TikTok, waiting for her to come home. 
I mean, surrounded by sadness. dogs, like hanging out. It's not yeah. bad. <laughs> not bad. But I think she sees me like enveloped in loneliness and sadness. <laughs> you know, that's my whole life. Although I have to say I have been because I have a, a junior in high school, almost a senior. I have been getting a bit melancholy about next year. You know, it's our last year with her at home unless she decides to take a gap year or something. But. I don't see that that's her path at this point. And it did make me really, really sad. It makes me very sad. Kathy, you got to feel the same way, don't you? Yeah, it's funny you said that. So Friday was our anniversary. Um, and Stephen and I decided to go out to dinner, which we haven't really done. Um, and then we ended up taking the kids with us <laughs> <laughs> for our anniversary dinner. There's a couple of reasons for it. But part of me was like, they're not like in a year, that's not going to happen one of them is not going to be here anymore. So I'm okay going out to dinner with just the four of us. And it was so fun. They were both in really good spaces, which does not often happen. Um, but yeah, we had that same thing. I was like, they can come to our anniversary dinner. Fine. <laughs> we'll still be married when they're gone. It'll be okay. <laughs> do you have um, a glimpse of what life will be when they're gone? Do you have, do you have any glimpses of it? Not really. No. I think it's been really hard with this pandemic and they've been home. So there hasn't been a lot of that where one kid is out of the house a lot. So you sort of see what's coming. We talk about it. We have this idea, but it's a very like conceptual idea. Right. I don't know. It's going to be very strange, I think. Yeah. What about you, Kirsten? Any, you're, you're a little behind us. Yeah. yeah I'm a year behind that. So, um, yeah, Camille's going into, she'll be going into 11th grade next year. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely think about it a lot. And yeah, it makes me really melancholy. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it makes me melancholy too. But it also, you know, when I went to Serbia and I had time by myself with Bert, mm -hmm. I, ha I had really good time. And I thought, oh, okay. So there's good times ahead, like we, when we were dating. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not about kids because uh, I don't know about you, but I adjusted myself when kids came in the picture, you know, yeah. not that I was some wild and crazy party animal, you know, but I definitely behave a lot more conservatively because my kids are in the house. You know, I don't walk around naked. I used to walk around naked all the time when it was just me and Bert because I'm that person that just doesn't care or I'd sleep naked or, um, and I haven't slept naked since I had children. Now I'm not saying I'll sleep naked again, but there's a certain freedom that I just decided to push pause on because there are kids in the house. And, and because I had a mom that walked around naked all the time and it made me very uncomfortable. So, I, I mean, as eight or nine year old to have a full grown woman naked vacuuming is odd. <laughs> to say okay so i don't know you might think that i'm very odd then i <laughs> i have not adjusted my nudity um i'm not vacuuming naked though uh, i mean okay. <laughs> well good i'm glad to hear that because things flop around when you vacuum let me tell you <laughs> it's not it's not static it's terrifying yeah um yeah but i just i mean i'll I change, I'm going to walk through like in some state of undress, going to the shower or getting out of the shower or. Oh, well, I do that too. Whatever. No, and then I I'm, do that too. I'm but... known for like the taking off your bra and slipping it oh, out. Oh, I your, do that too. I do no. that all the time. Like, yeah. and it, 
so like my bra will often be in the dining room because I'll be sitting there at dinner and be like, it's seven o'clock and I'm still wearing a bra. What the fuck? (laughs) And then off it comes. And my kids are always just like, mom. mom." (laughs) No, I do that too. I'm talking about just the blatant, Mm -hmm. just the blatant, I'm, I'm cooking breakfast naked, you know, like that. Like I didn't really do that either, but you know what I mean? There's a difference. There's a difference. Yeah. There's a freedom when it's just you and your husband. That's not the same, you know, or it wasn't, it's not for me. Maybe it's the same for Bert because he doesn't seem to have, he still walks around in his underwear all the time, but I don't like hang out in my underwear where I would hang out in my underwear when, when I didn't have kids. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm kind of looking, I'm trying to glass half full as much of the future like that as I can when I start getting sad and saying, oh, well, I can just go on the road with Bert if I want to for the weekend. If he's going somewhere interesting, I'll just go with him. Or, you know, it's going to be fun just the two of us and not having to worry about curfews. And and I'm actually a night person naturally. And so is Bert. And when you have kids, you can't be a night person anymore. You have to get up and get people to school. And even though I can be more of a night person now that my kids are older, it's still not really the same. I still have to get up and make sure that they're up and make Isla Grace Kreischer took me half an hour to get her up this morning. And the alarm clock's going blah, blah, blah. blah, And she's just completely comatose. So (laughs) it's not it's not the same. So I'm trying to kind of glass half full as much of it as I can. So it's going to be pretty sad, I think. I love my kids. I have really good kids. And I don't want to think of this as the best years of my life. You know, how people think high school was the best years of my life or when my kids were home were the best years of my life, just that they were specific type of years. You know, this was a specific type of good. So then what comes next is a different kind of really good. That makes sense. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I felt like that about all of the kids ages. Like I know some people really don't like certain stages of development. Like, you know, oh, they're an infant. They're just pooping and crying. What do you do with them? And, you know, I like kids when they start talking or or whatever, which is totally fine. Like I get that people have their stages, but I just loved every single stage. So I'm just trying to be an optimist about like, well, then I'm probably going to love all of the next stages and like maybe being a grandma someday and, and, and not, but not just putting all that pressure, like being a grandma, but just the other stages of like being able to travel together as adults. Like I see some friends who do that. And I've done that with my parents a bit, um, traveled as adults and, you know, it's fun. It's different. Um, and, uh, Yeah. So I'm trying to like, just be optimistic that way. I totally agree. Actually. I was thinking that like, I don't, it will make me really sad not to have the kids home, but I'm not dreading not having them home. Like I'm like where it will be fun. Like we will be together again. We can travel, we can do whatever. And that will be fun. And I actually think like you just said that I'm kind of, I'm not looking forward because I don't want them to grow up, but it's going to be fun when they're 20. And they're like mini adults and whatnot. Like all of that is just because every other stage has been fun, challenging, whatever, all of that. But I don't know. I think it will be good too. So while it makes me sad that they won't be home and little anymore, like it's going to be good. I think so. You know, what's going to be the best is when they realize how smart we were, (laughs) how right we were about 99% 
0.9% of what we said <laughs> and how little they appreciated us. At some point in this next phase, they're going to figure that out. God, I hope so. One I'm not going to hold my breath for that. <laughs> right. well, I'm not holding know. my breath either, but I'm waiting, buddy. And when it comes, I'm just going to let it wash over me <laughs> like holy water, you know? Finally, you've arrived and figured out your mother is pretty much the best human walking, I think. I think my children will figure it out and not tell me. <laughs> Mine <laughs> too. Hold me hostage. <laughs> Mine too, probably. Do you guys have a good sense of where geographically your kids intend to go after high school? Like, are they like, oh, I want to, you know, go to college in town? Or are they already planning like, oh yeah, I'm going to like do my, you know, I'm going to go to college in Europe or whatever. I don't know. Or even not college related, but just, you know, have any of your kids expressed like a dream to like live in another country or, you know, live in New York city or just something that's far away from home. You know, Max said for the longest time, he wanted to go to school on the East coast. And now that like, we're really looking at schools and life is happening. He's like, hmm, California is pretty good. <laughs> So I think once the reality set in, not so much. We'll see what happens. And Lily, who knows? She's, I can't imagine that she's going to go super far, but we'll see. Yeah, I was just trying to make it through algebra. (laughs) College is a distant, distant idea. She just got back to school in person in April. She has eight friends and she is all about this moment in time. She's been waiting to make these friends since August, you know, new brand new school, brand new high school with all these girls that it's a, you know, ninth through 12th grade schools, everybody's first year. She is so in this moment. Isla doesn't even want to think about college. That's so good though. It is good. I think it's actually quite healthy and she really needed it. She needed it to happen very badly. And I'm really glad it did. I'm actually meeting all her friends and her and their pa- their moms on Wednesday. They're having a big outdoor end of the school year in and out burger pool party. And uh, we're both pretty excited uh, from the from the text thread that the kids started with the moms. Everybody seems really nice. So I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting everybody. But Georgia um, wants to say somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. She doesn't want to stay in California. Um, and she'd consider like uh, Colorado or somewhere like that. Um, she's keeping her cards very close to the vest. She does not want to discuss her, anything with her parents. She is looking for 100% full autonomy here. She's not going to be able to have it. But we're giving it to her as much as we uh, we're giving it to her entirely in this uh, stage of the process. So I guess a college counselor was like, she's, she doesn't want you guys involved. Obviously you have to be. So until, until the time is right where we really need you involved, I'm just going to take it with her and we're just going to kind of suss it out on our own. And then we'll, we'll bring you in the fold when she's ready. And when I feel like it is essential. And I agree with that. I'm fine with that. I am all for her independence. She is someone that knows her mind very well. And she has a very opinionated fire hose tendency parents who were like, no, what about that? Both of us are very strong personalities. So I don't blame her and I'm okay with it. As long as, 
you know, she's not, and I don't think she is, she's not under the illusion that she's making this decision entirely by herself. She's just in this process entirely by herself. So from what I've been able to suss out, it seems to me like she's looking at Pacific Northwest and right around here. Um, we'll see. I think the focus right now is on her essays for college. I think she's going to spend her summer writing her essay for college. And then I think that's when we're going to start getting involved. Although I'm going to reach out to the counselor and say, should we go look at some colleges this summer? And which ones would those be? Because I don't know. <laughs> Give me some kind of direction. <laughs> so um, I was personally hoping she would stay closer, like to go somewhere within 100 miles of here. But I don't think she wants to do that. So I just wanted to be happy. You know, if you go to a place that you like, I think you're more apt to learn. So, so we'll see. This is supposed to be a book club episode. Should we talk about the book club book? I'm just happy to be here. What'd you guys think about this book? Um, I, okay. First of all, I'm going to say I really liked it. Good. I, however, think I was not paying attention when we talked about this book. Oh Yeah. Um, I didn't realize it was a book about addiction. I don't know how I missed that piece of it. I heard the renegade mothering and I was like, I'm in totally in. Um, so yeah, it's sort of, I don't know why I didn't really expect it to be this much about addiction. Um, but I have to say, I really enjoyed the book. I actually really like her. Um, so yeah, that's my initial impression. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry I didn't pay attention. <laughs> My reaction is Kathy liked it. She I liked, liked it. it. <laughs> um, thank you, Sophia, for the recommendation. Yeah, right. yes, never recommend. I think you can all agree on this one. I liked it. Yeah, I liked it too, and I I agree with you, Kathy. Uh, it wasn't that you weren't listening. I think that because her blog is called RenegadeMothering.com, I thought it was going to be about. Uh, unconventional parenting and I didn't I when the the cover has part of her house burning down I thought wow she must have like left something on the stove too long renegade mother I didn't know it was about addiction either um I had no clue that that's what this book was going to be about I thought it was about unconventional mothering um but I thought it was very brave the way that she kind of um laid out everything I felt like she was very honest with her process and with her failures. And that is so helpful for not only for herself, but in the end for her children when they eventually read this book to see how much she had those opposing feelings like this has ruined my life and this is the happiest day of my life in the same moment. I had those feelings over and over again as a parent and I kept feeling bad for feeling that way, you know, because it does upend your life. Um, and and in a, in a great way, but also in ways where you're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, could I buy a night's sleep somewhere? How do I get a night's sleep? I just want like a night's sleep. And that how that makes you more and more evil and more and more upset. And, um, I, you know, I'm going to talk for 20 minutes. What else would you guys like to say? I have a lot to say about this book. You guys say what you want to say, too, and I'll I'll jump in. Um, I I thought it was really brave. Like at the beginning of the book, I was like, oh my God, I want to be friends with her. I really like her. And then she went and it took a really dark turn Mm -hmm. and it was really impressive for her to put that all out there. And for her uh, part of it, I was like, how do you even remember this? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you were so sick 
at that point in your life. Um, I don't know. I thought it was really impressive. And at the end, I mean, I still really like her. (laughs) Um, I thought it was really impressive how she put it all out there and how far she's come and how much she's grown. Mm -hmm. Like talk about being a different person going through that journey. Mm -hmm. Totally. Kirsten, what are your, any more comments? You know, I did my usual thing where I, you know, I got a lot of those too on this book. Mm-hmm. Have a lot of those, but but they aren't very helpful. I went through them before um, before the Zoom started, and it's like a lot of them were just like, "Oh yeah, I, I love this." <laughs> like they were really general notes. It wasn't like, you know, oh, usually I write notes about like what it brought up in me, how I related to it, or you know what I particularly like. A lot of it was like, "Wow!" Like she. <laughs> One thing I will say is she's great with an end of chapter liner. Mm. Um, my God, every single one. And one of them, it was a 3 a.m. idea, but it was all we had. And those 3 a.m. ideas become a central theme to yeah. the book. And such a smart way to put that, a 3 a.m. idea. I was like, oh, my God. All of a sudden, the entire book crystallized. And this was like on page, you know, well, I guess that was on page 92, but like, it, it just, she has so much language like that, like mm-hmm. that she can put things into a really succinct, readable way that makes you go, oh, I, yeah, I get it. Yes. <laughs> I get it. And I can relate. Yeah. Even without the like massive drug history, whatever, you're like, oh, I totally get where you were coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. You know, she, she, um, She's very easy to read. This book was very easy to read. Her the and way yet that well she, written, like uh, yes, easy exactly, to read and yeah, very well written. Uh, the first thing I highlighted was, you know, here's I know I've probably talked about this before, but in my younger life, I started drinking very early, and I think I was very much headed down her path. But I decided um, I drank so much that I lost my hair, that my liver became enlarged. And I was only 20 at that point. So I was in bad physical condition like she describes. But I figured out on my own that I was drinking because of pain, that I wasn't drinking to drink because I didn't really even like alcohol. Um, And so I never got into drugs or cocaine or I never did any drugs like that. Um, I don't have that sense of I need my next. I would just drink until I blacked out. And then I knew I was sweet for the night and then, you know, started the next day. So I had related to her a lot. Um, and, and the brokenness she talks about in the beginning, I remember I, when I read, here's what I read. This is why I'm bringing this up. Um, she says, she's talking about getting a job um, and going in for an interview. When they called me for in for an interview, I knew I had a chance because I did well with first impressions, particularly when sober. It was everything following the first impression that troubled me. I could give you what you wanted. I just couldn't keep giving it to you. And I went, that described my entire college and every boyfriend I had and every job I had while I was drinking. As I could make a real good impression, I just couldn't sustain it. And I don't think until I went into therapy and I had a lot of therapy and figured out why I was drinking, that is who I was. Amazing first impression. 
completely unsustainable. It's interesting because I I underlined a line, another end of um, chapter line. My story wasn't untrue. It was simply unsustainable. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that is true. And what happens or what at least happened for me is then I believed that unsustainability is who I am. So it piles the shame on top of whatever shame you already have, which is the reason you're drinking and you're proving that shame over and over and over again by not being able to sustain something. And it's really all about that root problem, or it was for me. It was about the root problem that caused the drinking, that caused the unsustainability, because once I was able to get to that root problem, sustainability was no longer my problem. Um, But when I'd never really heard it described like that, like I can give you what you need and you're going to think impressive, but I'm not really going to be able to keep it up. And I was like, wow, I know exactly what that is. (laughs) I did that for a long time. Um, Let's see what this next thing. Um, Oh, here, this goes along the same, same lines. I was a master at selling my potential. My second best talent was leaving before you figured out I couldn't deliver. Or I simply never showed up at the moment of delivery. I stopped calling friends just when they thought we were really connecting. Um, uh, I didn't show up on the day they stopped doubting I'd show up. It was not conscious, but it was consistent. In college, a few, a few professors wrote on the bottom of my papers, come see me about getting this published or let's submit this to a contest I know. Each time I called my mother and told her about it on the way home from class, felt proud and hopeful, told strangers about it at bars, but I never, ever showed up to their office. That's the way I was too. And I think so many people are like that. I'm um, like that, and I didn't have the addiction problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's so hard to hear, though. Like she it has is. so much potential. Like that's so unfortunate. Mm-hmm. That sort of it broke my heart reading that. Actually, but. yeah, it did mine too. It broke uh, my heart for her, and it broke my heart for me. Because I went, that happened with me over and over and over again. I'd just go, subconsciously, I'd go, well, you're definitely not doing that. You know, you're definitely not showing up for that because we know who you really are. And who you really are is garbage. And that's what I got from this book that she believed. Yes, it was a self-esteem issue at the root of it. Yeah. Um, I think a really smart thing that she did in this book and that I didn't really get until the very end, um, it sort of is structured into, I think, three parts. And like the first part is becoming a parent and then she's drinking and using. And then the second part is addiction, uh, rehab, addiction, et cetera. And then the, the final part is about the way that she grew up. And it was so interesting to me because usually that would be structured in a different way in a memoir. It would be like front load it with, okay, this was the childhood and you go, oh, wow, those are a lot of things happening. I can see why you then became an addict. And I think it was really clever the way that she flipped that because you're just reading this and going, wow, like she's suffering, her family is suffering. There's all of this suffering And then it isn't until the end that you go, of course, that's why she (laughs) used 
of course, like it just made so much sense. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also like what you were saying, <clears throat> Leanne, that until you got into therapy and addressed the root problem, mm-hmm. it's kind of what needed to happen. She couldn't get better until she addressed that root problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came at the end, right? Like she didn't get there at the beginning of the story. That was very much the end. So. I agree. I agree. I think this woman is exceptional as a, as a human being. And I, I as I was reading it, I, um, I would imagine the thoughts that she described when she showed up at rehab about the other people who were addicted is so so universal to addicts that my hope would be that someone who's struggling with addiction reads this book and goes, oh, okay, I'm not the only person who goes, these people are fakers. These people are assholes. These people don't know what a gutter is. These people are losers or whatever thought she had on that page. There's something there for just about everybody (laughs) who's in addiction. I would imagine to go, oh, I've totally felt that way before. Um, And to say I can go to rehab, too, because really, I mean, I don't know anything about addiction. I I. All I know is that I drank because there was something else going on. And I think my understanding here, she had mental health issues, uh, like diagnosed mental health issues. She had trauma from childhood. And I would imagine that almost all addicts have some of that as well. You don't just be a happy person with complete stability and no problems and no mental issues and decide to go into a black hole of chasing cocaine into like a van in someone's, you know, alley that just, I don't, those two things don't add up. They, uh, to me, you have to have something that you're running from, even if it is a mental health problem that um, you can't understand or get a grip on. Um, I can't believe that you know, bipolar people don't usually accept that they're bipolar. Uh, right. That They really think that you're the problem. So how amazing that she had that kind of wherewithal to say, oh, hold on, I'm, I'm bipolar or I'm borderline personality disorder and to accept that and try and manage it. Yeah, except for I think that there were, was definitely some question about were those diagnoses even mm-hmm. true? Because it seemed like it was also like she just didn't have consistent care. So it was like these doctors who were just not getting enough time. It wasn't necessarily their fault either. Like they were just getting this short window with her and it was like, oh, okay. She's has this manic energy, this, and she's like, but I was doing cocaine. Like right. <laughs> the cocaine gave me the, like, was it the cocaine that gave her the manic energy or was it the bipolar? And so by the end of the book, I wondered if she had any of that, those diagnoses at all, or if it was just that all of the drugs, all the, the addiction caused so many behaviors mm-hmm. that looked like something else. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that she doesn't have um, those mental health things, but I think by the end of the book, I questioned whether or not like now, if has she gotten a new diagnosis or have they all said, yeah, this is, no, you don't have anything. <laughs> it was all related to your addiction. Yeah. Or maybe she has depression because, mm-hmm. you know, that was... I don't know. Yes, a good point. Good point. Really good point. Um, I didn't take a lot of notes in the rehab portion. Uh, I skipped to the like parenting portion in the end more. Um, But I thought 
Um, I just loved the way she portrayed her rehab, that it just sucked and it was terrible. And it, she's, you know, all her negative feelings and, and resistance and anger about it, I thought was just super honest. And, and all of her judgment towards everybody, the people who worked there, the people that her fellow addicts and everybody was, you know, she, about the tweakers, about. Um, and the fact that she did it several times, like yeah. this is not a one-stop solution, you know, like she went through that process over and over and continued to feel that way every time she went into rehab mm-hmm. until finally, you know, so I don't, I thought it was really impressive that she just put it all out there, every mm-hmm. piece of it, you know, all I, the ugliness. I agree. Uh, and what were you going to say, Kirsten? Oh, there was, there's a lot of anger. It's, it's yeah. funny, Leanne, because most of my post-its are concentrated in the middle. The, mm-hmm. I had lots of post-its in the other parts, but I ended up throwing them out this morning. I looked at this and I was like, okay, so I liked that, but why? Okay. Just, threw them out. I'm like, I have nothing to say about this. It's just good. Um, but the ones that I I kept are in the middle. They were like, there's nothing specific. I was just like, Oh, I really like that. Oh, I like that. And nothing really beyond that. Yeah. Um, I, I loved, um, (laughs) I loved her anger in the, um, in the rehab part and how she's like judging everybody there, like, you know, oh, that woman who looks like she drives a minivan and, and, you know, drinks her, likes her wine. Oh, bullshit. Why is she here? And she's like, so angry about that. And then she's like, I'd always hated tweakers. First, they never shut up. Second, they were dumb. Whether they started dumb or became dumb on account of all the cold medicine they smoked was a mystery, but the result was the same. Third, they hurt people. In the news and among my addict friends, I would hear stories about what the tweakers had done. And then there's some really horrific stuff recounted. Um, but she says to me, tweakers were the addict, were, were the addicts without standards, the druggies without a single code of basic decency. If we were all mafia members, meth addicts were the mob bosses who killed wives and children. The rest of us were Don Corleone. <laughs> <laughs> but the great thing is that she doesn't stay in that place. Like she lands there, but then later, you know, by the end of the book, she's realizing, oh, you know, all this judgment, we're really, it's all coming from the same place that we're broken and we turn to addiction and maybe some of, you know, maybe the tweakers could only afford (laughs) math. Like it's, I hear it's cheap. (laughs) Yes. You know, it's, it's, so it was sort of like an indictment more on the, um, like on the, uh, even the privilege of, you know, the mom in the minivan who had alcohol, who could afford the, (laughs) the alcohol versus the tweakers. I don't know. So good. Yeah. It's really good. So it's interesting that the guy who, I don't know what you call him, sponsor or whatever, it sort of just turns that all back on her and it's like, fuck you and your judgment. Look at yourself. Yeah, You know what I mean? It was like that giant slap in the face, which was really clearly what she needed over and over again. Um, I thought that was a really interesting dynamic. Oh um, yeah. Um, good news, Jack. Good news, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> good news, Jack. Um, good news, Jack, uh, is kind of what Scott did for me. When I read this book, I was like, I was in AA and didn't know it. It just was called Reiki because Scott did Reiki on me and I would call and have conversations with him and he would tell me where my thinking was wrong. Mm-hmm. And he was right. 
about it. In the same way, Good News Jack did it for her. I was like, wow, I wonder, how do you find someone that brilliant? Because he really is, Good News Jack is brilliant. Um, One of the quotes I, um, this is not directly, this was part of a conversation she had um, with Good News Jack where he said, alcohol was never your problem, it was your solution. Um, And he said, if it it were the problem, then rehab would be churning out success stories like that. And then... What I what I highlighted was her line. It was tough. It was tough to argue with the logic like that. But still, I maintained a small buried belief that once alcohol was gone, I would come the most benign version of myself, perhaps some sort of B-level saint. But after getting sober, I realized I was still an asshole. And I thought. Boy, ain't that the truth. You're still stuck with the same baggage, whether you're an asshole or whether whatever your baggage is, you're still the same person. And I thought that is so fucking true. We keep expecting things to change who you really are. I mean, a meditation retreat should change who you are or whatever. And it's not true. You're you're the same person that you were with the drugs, you know? I thought that was really cool. That was one of my favorite moments with Good News Jack, too. I love that his name is Good News Jack, and he just was like bad news every which way to Sunday. I know, right? Bad news, but with a laugh. And then he'd just laugh maniacally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, another piece that I thought, this is a kind of a complicated conversation because it involves two different parts of the book. But... um you know, she, she, this is why she drank. One of the reasons she drank one night in that house, some older neighborhood boys came over and convinced me to spread the lips of my vagina while I sat on the couch so they could all see. I did it, which was the horror that never left me. And she goes on to describe everything else. And they, I, from what I understand, they never touched her. They never like invaded her, but they they intimidated her into showing her vagina to them so they could look at it. And, I, and from what I understand, this happened many, many times, right? I don't think it was a one-time thing. I read later on where I thought, oh, this happened again. Um, I didn't get, I actually didn't get that impression, I but I might've been wrong. Yeah. I did. I think, um, uh, She said, I had shaken my head in protest. I had mumbled no, but something about them all gathered around the couch, something about them urging me on, something about them demanding. I found myself pulling down my own underwear. Later, I wondered why I didn't simply walk away, lock myself in my room, staunchly refuse with a big, strong voice. I wondered why I participated in my own degradation, my own humiliation without a soul touching me. I didn't know why I did it not understanding at that young age how children are manipulated. Um, When I told my mother that uh, about that and other unfortunate related occurrences, which is what made me think there were other unfortunate or related occurrences, she sent me to a therapist who explained that what happened wasn't abuse because it wasn't done violently. Yeah. I mean, when I read that, I couldn't believe it. But I sort of could believe it. Yeah, you know? I, I believe it 100%, but I was very, very angry at that therapist. Yeah. So 
No, as she said, that was it. No problem here. I never saw her again. Never told my mother what she said. After that, I filed away in my gut the notion that I was illegitimately tainted and evil and dirty. I thought something was wrong with me, not only because it happened, but because I was upset it happened. And then everybody moved on from it but me. And each week we went to church where they talked about the sanctity of marriage and the woman's body and how it's a temple. I resolved I was simply garbage. Um, I related to that so strongly. I was not molested as a child. I definitely was not. Uh, no one ever touched me as a child. But I definitely had um, a, a date rape in college. And I remember um, be- believing that I brought that on myself. And believing that if I hadn't been so drunk, if I hadn't worn a short skirt, if I hadn't flirted earlier in the evening, it would have never happened. It was my fault. I filed it in my head as, no, 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 you got what you deserved. It's your fault. And I've actually had conversations with Georgia recently about this because I was like, I want you to know why that thought process was so damaging and why it was so incorrect, right? It's incorrect for this therapist to say, well, it wasn't done violently, so it doesn't matter. You know, it was incorrect for me to say I had any fault in that at all. No, I shouldn't have gotten so drunk, of course. But does that give someone permission to to propagate violence on my personal body? No, it doesn't, actually. But how long I sat with that, I am definitely garbage because of the responsibility I took on myself just like she did, where she went, well, I participated, I must be garbage. Um, And I was already drinking and off in a ditch before that happened. So my reason for drinking wasn't caused by that incident. It was just aggravated by it. It was intensified by it because after that, I just was drinking all the time, even more. I lost my hair and liver got enlarged after that happened. So I think when that happened, I became totally unmanageable. My emotions became totally unmanageable. Um, I mean, I was a 4.0 student in honor society. I held really prominent, really good positions in my sorority. And a year later, I was failing out of college and was on probation with my sorority. And my sorority actually recommended that I go to rehab in one year. It just plummeted. It's amazing what you do to yourself, you know, when a trauma like that happens. And she was a child. I mean, poor thing. It just really, I was like, I know exactly what she's talking about, unfortunately. Um, But there was another quote that I highlighted that was from Good News Jack that I thought was really important that I could relate to, too, with my relationship with my mom. So I highlighted... um, what he said, they were talking about his, your mother, you know, was doing the best she could with what she had. Uh, he took a deep drag from his Marlboro and looked at me from behind his glasses. But what she did was wrong, Jack. And he said, all right, but do you want to be right? Or do you want to be free? Mm-hmm. I thought that was the most powerful thing in this entire book. Right? Yeah. 
right? Like, but that how applies how some, to so much to that place of acceptance, right? But like that's tough. it's tough. And how do you get to that place for acceptance? If someone doesn't say that to you, that you trust, that you believe you have to do that work, but he, she clearly trusted and believed him and was able to accept that simple um, belief system. Do you want to be right or do you want to be free? And that you can apply that to every single thing. Uh, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Do you want to be right or, you know, do you want to be fill in the blank, you know, of something positive? Do you want to be right or do you want to have a good marriage? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do you want to be right or do you want to just pass ninth grade? <laughs> you know, but that but I was like at a place where she could hear it. That's like, what I mean. Yeah. Someone could have said that to her much earlier in her journey and it would not have had the same impact. Exactly. It had to be from the right person at the right time. Because yeah. earlier someone may have said that and she was she could have said, I want to be fucking right. Because yes. I am right. She would have said that. Absolutely. Well, in her first rehab, um, that some of the they said some some really impactful things or things that you know may have been impactful had they come at another time or from another person. I think she was also just so disgusted at that point with how peppy and <laughs> clean and <laughs> clean cut these um, these people at the the workers at the rehab were. Um, I think that you know. Jack, it was like, for one, obviously at the right time, that was the, the key thing, but also he had been down and out and she, she could see it. And she, she just really, I think, I don't know, at least maybe I was projecting that on her, but I, you know, you can, sometimes you can respect it more from somebody who you're like, oh yeah. Okay. You've been on Broadway. Maybe I should listen to your advice about my musical theater audition. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think that's very valid. I think that's why the 12 step program works for people is because you, you know, reach down and pull people up because you've been where they are. Uh, it makes perfect sense to me why that would work. Mm -hmm. um, she definitely needed to find someone she respected. And, you know, I know with Bert, uh, with a therapist, he's so very smart that you can't, I can't just send them to any therapist. They have to be like criminally minded, very smart to be able to help him because he can, he can justify eight ways to Sunday, what someone has said to make it apply to what he needs, but to have someone say, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you here. And this is what I mean and hold him accountable to that takes a very brilliant person and she seems to me to be quite a brilliant person not that everybody's not smart in their own way but i think some people are just so smart in that manipulative kind of i'm going to make the narrative fit what i need it to fit i'm talking about bert now obviously that you have to have someone who goes i know what you're doing and and this isn't going to work which is what good news jack did for her is say i know what you're doing and this isn't going to work that's really cool. Yeah. Really cool. One more thing about rehab. Did you guys read the interview in the end that she did for herself? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So I highlighted this part, which I thought was really telling. Um, 
It says that the question is one of my favorite activities is to remind you that you're the same asshole you were before you had kids, but now you just feel worse about it. And she says, oh, shame, old buddy. Yes. And incidentally, that's what we do to mothers new to recovery. They step foot in rehab and they're pummeled with, but don't you love your children? How could you do this? And consequently, we think we can get sober for our children. We think love is enough to treat our addiction. We bathe in shame, hoping it will heal our minds. And when we relapse over and over again, which is generally the story for a late stage addict, we eventually wonder if we have any capacity for love at all. Mac, who's her husband, came to a reading with me once. And after I talked about how I was immediately asked about my kids when I entered rehab, a woman in the audience asked Mac, so when you went to rehab, did they tell you to get sober for your kids? He responded, I don't think they even knew I had kids. I was like, incredible standard, double standard. Yeah. Right. I was blown away, actually. I was really kind of blown away by that. Um, yeah, that totally just made me tear up. Um, gave me chills. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gave me chills where I went, you know, as much as we have responsibility as mothers because we're wired a certain way differently than men, maybe perhaps what a pressure for someone who's ill like that. And what a difference in standards that is just kind of inherent in life, I guess. And what a pressure for all of us. Like mm-hmm. even if you're not struggling with addiction or anything, just the shame that is associated with anything, having any feelings that aren't intrinsically tied to your kids, like not seeing women, not seeing mothers as a complete person, Mm -hmm. um, just as, you know, a vehicle to grow their kids and nurture their kids. Yeah, it was crazy. I read that and I was like, that's fucking crazy. I'm sorry. And what if, like, what would her recovery look like if she didn't have that added pressure, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what if they didn't ask if she had kids? Hmm. Like, what if they just treated her as a female who was struggling? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. that's, it was really, really powerful. Yeah, that was one of the most powerful things in in the book. I mean, there were a lot of powerful things. But that one, I was like, whoa. They didn't even know he had kids and hers was, why can't you do this for your kids? Crazy. Like they just took care of him as a human and her as a mom. Like that's so, yeah. To take care of her would be to take care of someone else where for him, it was just to take care of him. Right. Just for him to get healthy. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. And talk about that relationship. Oh, well, that was the next thing I was going to talk about, Kathy, right? Talk about that relationship. Go ahead. It's mind-blowing to me that she ends up getting pregnant by this guy she barely knows, is not really in any sort of relationship that you would consider a relationship. And what are they? I don't know, 20 some odd years later, four kids later, they're together. They're making like that was really a fascinating journey for me. I, don't, I thought it was so interesting that they managed to stay together. They both managed to be sick and get healthy, independent of each other. Um, yeah, it, that was really impressive. Anybody Google what he looked like? Because I haven't. 
But I haven't, but I wanted to because the very first description of him, I was grossed out. Um, <laughs> but then later on, I was like, oh, he sounds really cute. Um, the first description, she says that he looked like a face surrounded by a hair donut, like he has this black curly hair and he had this beard and like their very first, not even a date, but she meets him at this party and then she shaves him. It's like, I want to see what's under that beard. And they don't even kiss or anything. She just, she shaves his beard off, but she described him as like a donut, donut with frizzy black hair around a face. And I was like, a hard pass, like (laughs) (laughs) does not sound attractive at all. But then later I was like, oh, he actually sounds very attractive. (laughs) But I waited. I was actually going to do my Googling before (laughs) this meeting and forgot about it. Yeah, I know. I she says several times he's very handsome. Yeah. So I want to see what he looks like. I meant to Google him, too, and I never did. Anyone looked at her blog? I have. I like I wanted to and I forgot, but I'm curious to see what that is like. Um, I read her latest post. Uh-huh. And I have a friend who has a daughter who's going through some, I think, quite significant depression at the moment, uh, clearly related to the pandemic. But her latest entry was about how she used to feel when she was depressed, like deeply depressed, and that she hasn't felt that kind of depression in about 20 years. But she felt compelled to write about it because of everything that's going on today. Mm-hmm. And it was really enlightening. Um, I thought it was just like the book. It was very well written and it was, it very much gave me a window inside depression. I have never been depressed. I've had situational depression. You know, my grandmother dies, I get sad, but I've never been depressed. I mean, I did a podcast episode about depression because I completely don't understand chemical depression from my own experience. Um, and the way she described it was was how my friend described her daughter. And then, then she described like, she, she said she, in the blog, she went to like a, or listened to a sermon and the preacher was talking about how he was depressed and how, what he wanted was not suicide. It was rest. He was just exhausted from carrying this depression. And I thought, Oh, wow. I've never, thought about it like that, that it's so heavy that what you want is rest. Like you don't want to go out because you're so exhausted from this heavy feeling of depression. And um, I just thought it, for me, it it gave me a new perspective on depression from, you know, from seeing if, if I ever see somebody go through it really to see kind of what's going on inside their body and mind. Um, and then I scrolled down and the next one was about um, uh, anxiety in the pandemic or something, but I didn't read it. But the first one was really good. It was really, really good. She's a very good writer and she's very good at describing her inner life, emotional life. Um, but I did not see Mac. Oh, oh, that's Mac. Hello. Look at you. Oh, my goodness. He 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 was a donut yeah, with a hair. donut beard a little bit. He is pretty cute. Yeah. yeah. He's got really sweet eyes. Look at their four kids. Oh, he's adorable. Oh. They're both adorable. Yeah, they yeah. are. They're really cute. Thank you, Halston. Thanks, Halston. That was cool. Surprise. So <laughs> the parenting piece of this that we haven't really talked about yet, yeah. I, only rec- I only highlighted one thing because – 
Okay, so all our kids went to the same elementary school. I think we can all agree that our elementary school. What are you doing? I Kathy? know what you're going to say. What, I know what, what you're going to say, say too. Tell me. Go, you're go, talking go. about the judgment part where she breaks down the different types of moms, right? No. You're talking oh. about the the testing. Uh, yeah, the gate testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but I don't. I, I know the part you're talking about, but oh, well, maybe it is. No, it's not okay, about sorry, breaking just, down the difference. Just talk. Yeah, just go. <laughs> we all went to a very high achieving elementary school. Would you say that's accurate? Yes, accurate. Yes. Would you say it's <laughs> accurate? Uh, my experience at that school is I have one kid that's a typical learner, straight A student, one kid that has a learning disability. Same. My feeling, <laughs> yeah, exactly. My feeling was if they weren't a straight A student, they were failing. That was the feeling I got from that environment. Oh, and not just they were failing. I got the message that I was failing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I remember thinking, but I actually think everything's okay. And I didn't feel that everything was okay until my daughter went to middle school and the people in in that environment were like, oh no, she's actually great. She just has a hard time reading. That's it. And I was like, oh my God, thank God, because this environment I've been in for the past six years has been telling me, I don't know how she's going to make it. Like, I don't know how she's going to make it. I mean, I had one teacher tell me she should go to a special school because she was not reading at grade level. And I'm like, really? She's not going to make it? I mean, like her two best friends are two of the smartest girls in the class, in the whole grade. Like Lily and Dakota are arguably two of the smarter, maybe smartest, probably top, what, 5% in the grade, she couldn't possibly hang out with kids this smart if she were dumb. You know, she just doesn't read like everybody else. Yeah. And that, that um, pressure trickled down to the kids. Of course. I remember um, my daughter in um, fifth, fifth grade, it was literally the first week of fifth grade crying and saying that she wasn't ready for college. And I was like, (laughs) Of course you're not. Like this is absurd. I mean, um, but they were giving them such pressure about you are you don't have what it takes for middle school, and if you don't have what it takes for middle school, you won't have what it takes for high school, and then you won't get into a good college. And so, my little like ten or eleven year old was stressed about getting into college, and I was like, oh my god, we've barely started fifth grade. Like, <laughs> what is happening? But it was all of the pressure. Like there was just so much focus on achieve, 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 achieve. And it was like, they're little kids. Like, right. And some kids thrive on that. Some kids genuinely really thrive on that. But I don't think it's the majority of them. I think most of them had rather just be like, just learning, just, just learning, just being engaged in learning. But I, I pull this quote out. That's uh, one of the parents said, so did your daughter get into gate? Well, gate stands for what? Gifted and talented education, education. Uh huh. She asked, stopping me in the hallway as I headed to Ava's second grade classroom. I'd recently learned the standard behavior around Ava's school was to move from the fancy private school to a fancy public school when the kid reached third grade to take advantage of the gifted and talented education, which was where all the superior kids were headed. The woman standing before me was their captain. She had adopted her children from another country, which also made her captain of the white liberals. She was around 50 with black gray streaked hair and owned an impressive array of Tevas. Uh, 
She had dark brown eyes and a brow that threatened to destroy me if I said something out of line. Sadly for me, I rarely knew what was that line was. Uh, no, she didn't, I said, shrugging. She jolted, tilting slightly forward and raised her eyebrows in shock as if, as if I had just told her my dog was bleeding to death in my car. After the initial blow wore off, her face registered thinly veiled disgust, but it wasn't until the pity settled into her eyes that I felt her derision and thought with a stab that maybe my daughter wasn't as smart as I thought she was. I recalled the day my mother took her to the exam and how it didn't go with her, how I didn't go with her, and I wondered if I should have. I considered having her retake it, and then I remembered I didn't care. My kid is fine. I am fine. She's smart, and I'm sort of smart. For whatever reason, she didn't pass a test. I looked up and shrugged again. Oh, well, that's too bad, the lady stammered, straightening her North Face vest. Is it too bad? I answered, smiling, before I turned and walked away. Is it? It's fucking not. And I hated that environment. For I, I loved that she said that <laughs> to that. Yeah, I just loved it so much, and I wish that I had had that um, courage or, you know, quick wittedness to, to reply. Um, I remember that second, so they take that test in second grade. I remember when, um, one child, the child who does not test well, um, took that test. And when we got the results, it was not just that the child did not, um, get it qualify, but failed so dramatically <laughs> as to like, I, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm throwing out numbers here, but let, let's say it got 20% out yeah. of a hundred or yeah. something like something egregious. And so I went to the second grade teacher and said, if I could, I would love to talk to you about the, the gate test. And my intent was not like, oh, you know, I really think that she should be. It really bothered me. I think it was the first huge red flag. I had been saying to teachers up until then, I really don't think that she tests well. I think there's something going on. And because there were so many really aggressive parents at that school, um, I think a lot of teachers would just sort of look at me and think, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Your child is a snowflake, like whatever. And so he looked at me and he said, you know, I have nothing to do with that. I haven't even gotten those results. And I said, well, if I could just forward them to you, I'll forward you an email. And he was very dismissive, but I don't fault him. I think that it really was, he was inundated with teachers, with, with parents saying, well, you know, my kid didn't get into gate. And I think that, you know, my child is obviously gifted and talented and blah, 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 blah. And when he looked at them, he, he pulled me aside the next day and he said, oh, Kirsten, I, no, I see. He's like, I'm sorry. I thought you were one of those. I thought you were pushing for that. And he's like, no, he's like, this does not reflect your child's intellect at all. Um, there's some, there's something going on here, you know, and that's when we started getting the ball rolling and, and realized learning disabilities and also just a real bad test taker due to right. anxiety. Right. Um, I think we may have had the same second grade teacher. Yes, we did. And for my oldest, that second grade teacher was phenomenal because she's high achiever. For my youngest, he was like, I don't know what we're going to do with her. I don't know what. And I was like, I was it really upset me because I thought a teacher that was as brilliant as that should know exactly what to do with her. She just didn't know how to read. That's it. I mean, she could learn fine. She took a little extra time of his day because she needed a little extra attention. And he was a wonderful teacher, still is, I'm sure, a wonderful, wonderful teacher. He was so great for Georgia, um, for her confidence and for her learning. He was just fabulous. But 
For Isla, I think he was a bit damaging. And then third grade was a bit damaging because she got, again, a really great teacher who didn't understand. And so that makes me panic as a kid, not because I need her to be in gate, but because I need her to not be like not thriving. You know, Uh, I was so happy to get out of that school and get to a regular school where they were like, oh, no, she's fine. She's just a little behind in reading. And I was like, oh, my God. I thought we were going to have to like <laughs> anesthetize her. You know? <laughs> we had to put her down in fifth grade. She can't, she's not getting the reading right. But I think that you um, need to have Janelle, the author on, on your podcast, because she also has a child who is dyslexic. Yeah. yeah I saw that. Yeah. I would love to talk to her about a myriad of things on my podcast. Um, she seems a very fascinating, interesting human being. And such a great writer. I, I wish her all the best in the world for her writing career. I don't know if she has other books. I know she has her, her blog, but or I'm sure she has aspirations to write more books. But she deserves everything she gets because she fought tooth and nail for her life. And um, I feel like in a lot of ways, even though I didn't go through rehab and I didn't do that, I fought tooth and nail for my life, too. I really did. Um, and. I really respect her. I think she's she's an impressive human being, and she should be very proud of her life, even with all the bullshit that she put other people through and put herself through. <laughs> she should be really proud of what she's created. She has a family of four, and they seem really happy, and she's living a dream in some ways. She just had to walk through fire to get it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Highly well recommend said. this book. What do you think? Highly recommend. Yeah. Two thumbs up. Five stars. (laughs) Totally. Um, Next book club. I I chose it. I hope that's okay. Is that okay? I love it. Wait a minute. I thought you were doing the next book club with Kylie. (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to start having them as regular podcast guests. You know, last week I had Georgia and Kylie on. They were very popular. They were very popular and they were very impressive. And, you know, some of the comments I was getting in the emails is like, I'm listening to this with my daughter. Please do more of this because it's a way for me to connect with my own child. I have a kid that's 12. We're not there yet. I'd love for them to kind of hear what's in the future. I got, excuse me, I got tons of comments like that. And I was like, I'd be happy to have them on on some kind of semi-regular basis as much as they want, actually, because... They did do a great job. Now, Isla and Lou, uh, their podcast will drop before this one, but theirs is a little more one-word answer. <laughs> theirs is a little more like, so what do you think about school? Fine. Can you elaborate on fine? Not really. Okay. <laughs> also relatable, though. Also relatable. It was it was one of the hardest podcasts I've ever done was with Isla and Lou. It was like pulling teeth, every single thing. But it is also relatable. That is exactly. I mean, they're the younger siblings, which is part of it. They have these two older siblings who are very strong personalities, very opinionated about everything from soup to nuts. And it would be really hard to walk in their shadow. And so when they come on together, they're both the passive of the two of the pair. So I've got two aggressive and two passive. 
So what's to be expected, right? <laughs> it was interesting. It was really fascinating. And uh, I know they recommended, since both of them are Sandy's children, that I have a podcast with Sandy where S Sandy has listened to both of the podcasts and we discussed what they discussed. So I feel like they're trying to take over my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a little taste of in, being an entertainer. And they're like, so anyway, you have Sandy discuss and then we'll swap. We'll have. Hey, that's great. You know what? This, this show has been running a long time. You, you deserve a little bit of help, like <laughs> getting some shows going, let them. That They've got the summer off. They can, you totally. know, get them generating ideas. <laughs> I totally, I told them I would do whatever. So now they want to do a Lou, a Lou and Georgia podcast and a Kylie and Isla podcast. And then a Kylie and Lou podcast. And I'm like, oh my God, the whole is, we're just going to call it the season of sisters. <laughs> the whole season of sisters. So maybe we'll record a bunch over the summer and just drop like one a month so that I can actually have other content. <laughs> well. But it was really fun. And I was very proud of all four of them for being willing to come talk to me even. Um, even the two shy, more reserved ones. Uh, I was especially proud of them. I had no concerns about the two elder ones. <laughs> None whatsoever. I barely got a word in. <laughs> I mean, like, I was like, Georgia could stop talking at any point. That would be fine. <laughs> she just went on and on and on. Anyway, for Mother's Day, Georgia gave me a book. She is in AP English, and her English teacher said to everyone in their class, she made them take a picture of this book and said, this is one of the best books she's read in a long time and wanted her whole class to read it for fun, not for an assignment. It's called The Authenticity Project. It is a non, it is a novel. So it is a fiction. I have not read it. I don't know much about it, but um, I think it's about a person being honest with herself and who Great she title. is. Right. So um, I thought we should read it since I'm going to read it anyway. And it might be something that our girls would be interested in reading since George's AP teacher recommended it. So I thought that would be fun. Right. All right. Let's do it. Love it. I'll send you a book. Um, so one of my listeners recommended that I start an Amazon book club list. I did not know this existed. Did you guys know this existed? No. Now that you mention it, I feel like I've heard about it from like Gritch and Rubin's podcast or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know how to find it on Amazon, but I have yeah, created it. Exactly. <laughs> I don't even know how to add to it. I don't know how I as soon as she did that, I was like, oh, I'll create that. I created it and then I couldn't find it again. So <laughs> I'm going to try to find it because I'm not tech savvy. And my producer sometimes doesn't help me with these things. <laughs> just kidding, Austin. I don't know how to do this. I'm going to try to figure it out. <laughs> I've never asked Austin to help. I was just busting his chops. Um, and then, so it'll be on my book club, Amazon book club list. And then I'll put it on my website too. I've been really bad. I haven't kept my website up to date. I've been so busy with other things. Okay. Leanne though, your, your Instagram is exponentially better than it used to be. And you're doing a great job. You take a picture of the book that we're doing next. So people do have the opportunity to follow along. That's great. I think you're killing it. Well, you can't do everything. You're <laughs> right. As soon as this dang house is done, I'll be able to get back on my horse a little bit more. But um, 
Yeah, I will take a picture of this and put it on my Instagram too. I think that is helpful because then you can just see what it is. And I mean, my daughter picked this up at Target, so you can buy it at Target. You don't have to go to Amazon. Um, anyway, that should be fun, right? Yeah, yay. Summer reading. All right, I think we should make Kathy pick the next book club book. A hundred percent. I've chosen books before. <laughs> Which one? Which one did you choose? Made. That you both hated, but oh, we didn't right. hate it. And I'm and I'm reflecting on it more and more. I feel like I need to reread made. <laughs> I think it I think it was a circumstantial dislike. And I don't think we hated it. I think no, we had true. some yeah. issues with it. That's very true. Yes. <laughs> we didn't hate it. The problem was we read it right after Miss Pat. That oh, yeah. is the problem. Is yes. Ms. We were so blown away by Miss Pat that we should have read something like a book about accounting and then read made, you know, You're right. but, Let's not read a book about accounting. Please. And honestly, <laughs> you know, the, the contrast between Miss um, Pat and made reminds me of the judgment that she makes in this book about the different levels of addicts, yeah. the different bottoms that people have and the different trauma that people have. Um, which, you know, she gets to a point of realizing like, oh, duh, it's all the same. Like, you know, trauma is trauma. Um, whereas, you know, but in Miss, Miss Pat's trauma and the way that the stuff that she encountered was so dramatic, so mm-hmm. right out of a movie dramatic, that then it's hard to just to just go to poverty from there. Right. You're like, oh, well, you're just up against poverty. You're not a, up against <laughs> systemic racism and drug dealers and, you know, all that. And it's not really fair. I agree because I have to tell you something. I think about her a lot. Uh-huh. The, yeah, the, the one who wrote yeah. made, I think about her a lot and I'm very proud of her because she was able to achieve what she achieved. I think about her a lot. So I think the timing of that book was the problem is that we just read Miss Pat and it, it, you know, I don't know. You're right. We, there was so much going on in Pat's life that to downsize it to that simple, not simple, but what seemed simple compared was the problem. But it was a great book. But that's been a while, Kathy. Yes, I know. I can't write, remember <laughs> another one. <laughs> but you know Can we just like dwell for a moment in like Kathy liked a book. <laughs> Kathy gave it. <laughs> Kathy's liked books before. She's liked books before. My dog is being crazy. Sorry. It's usually like a, it's like a, a conditional, like, like very judgmental, apparently. (laughs) No, it's not. You're just discerning. You're discerning. You're a discerning critic. There's nothing wrong with having a critical mind. It's a, it's an asset. It's just funny. Like it's just become like our thing that it's like, loved it. Liked it. It was okay. (laughs) I mean, I have problems. I have problems. I have notes. I have notes. (laughs) As we've always, as we've established in the past, uh, you're, you, you tend to be a contrarian in the book club, but that doesn't mean negative. It means you find the piece contrary to what Kirsten and I find. Kirsten and I are almost always on the same page. And then you find the contrast to a lot of what we find, which I think is what makes a good book club. It would how boring would it be if we all went? We loved it. <laughs> we all the same comment. It'd be so boring. I just don't think about it the way you do, and that's a gift. It's a huge gift. And uh, by the way, and and one of the comments for this one 
One of the people in the comments on Instagram said, I can't wait to hear what Kathy has to say. I always <laughs> love her opinion. So there you go. Mm-hmm. So I, I challenge you to find the next book club book. Okay. I haven't read anything great lately. I've it actually have I, to be great. It's, though. it's okay. Really annoying. I've read a couple of books and I'm like, I don't like, I didn't actually finish them, which is something I rarely do, but there've been a couple lately. I'm like, Ugh. So. I've done that too, but you, do, you don't have to bring something that you've read and you don't have no, to bring a good book. You're not responsible if it's bad. And sometimes it's more interesting discussing a bad book. <laughs> totally. Sometimes I wonder too, if, um, I'm still fascinated with going back like a decade ago. And what did I not read that was really successful or popular? Or like, like for instance, I never read The Notebook. And then The Notebook was turned into this big movie. And everybody I know was like, you haven't seen The Notebook? You haven't read the book, The Notebook? Now, I don't even know if that's a book I would even like. But that's my my point is I keep, I keep when I'm looking for something to read, going back in time to find what I missed. Because, I I mean, when I had small kids, I missed a lot in the book reading department because I had a book club for a big chunk of time before I had children. And then from like 2004 to we started this book club, I basically didn't read much. So I keep going. That's a good point. I keep going back in there because, you know, like the only book I can really remember reading from that time period was Memoirs of a Geisha. And I can't really remember reading anything else. That can't have been the only great book from that, like, 14-year span. (laughs) There's got to be more, but I don't know what they would be, you know? I tried to look at what books were made into movies from this age for this age, and one of them was The Notebook, which I never read. Um, So I don't know. I've never been into romance kind of books except for Pride and Prejudice and that kind of stuff. I am currently, though, listening on audiobook to Far From the Madding Crowd. Have either of you read this book? Uh-huh. Okay. Thomas Hardy is a fantastic writer. Oh, so good. Yeah. First book I've read of his. and um, He wrote it, Tess, right? Tess of the Durbervilles. Yeah. And um, what else did he write? I read a couple of them in college. And yes, was definitely into Hardy. He's amazing. I'd never read him before. Um, I told this story to my kids this weekend and they thought it was the coolest story ever. They thought it was really, I don't know about the coolest story ever. Now I'm talking Bert hyperbole. They thought it was a really cool story. Um, when I was living in New York, I, um, came home for like a family reunion. My, both my grandparents are one of, I think nine kids. So I have all these uh, older cousins that are my dad's cousins and my generation and whatever. But my dad had these three cousins. We call them the Kemp cousins from Covington. There are three sisters. And one of the sisters was a school teacher. Her name was Laura. And I was at a home, uh, a reunion. And I was saying to Laura, I'm up in New York and all these people are talking about all these books that I never read. I mean, in Bowden High School, we didn't read all these classics. I didn't go to school as an English major. I didn't read all these classics. I feel really ignorant. I feel really stupid. And I don't even know where to start. I don't know even what I should be reading as a classic. I don't want to read something that's, I'm going to be bored stiff. I want to read something that's good. And like a week later, I got a box in the mail in my apartment, and it was full of paperbacks of all the books that Laura felt I should read. 
And she put a post-it note or or an index card in each one telling me why I should read it and what was really great about it. And I wish I still had that box of books. At some point in my moves, I got rid of them, which I really regret because I didn't have time to read the books. One of the books was Tess of the Dubervilles, and I never read it. There was Jane Austen in there. And I wish I knew what the rest of the books were because I was like, well, clearly I just don't even have time. And I keep dragging these books from apartment to apartment, and I'm just never going to read them. And there were the little bitty, you remember when paperback books were like this big, and the print was like this big? And I was like, I'm never going to read these books. And I got rid of them and her cards, and I regret it so much. I wish I'd at least just kept her note cards, but I didn't. But what a cool thing to do. Really cool. She she didn't say anything. She just sent me a box of books. Um. And I, I just always think about that. She's such a great, funny uh, firecracker of an older cousin. She's really cool. But anyway. Anyway, well, I'm excited about our next book. Me too. It should be fun. Thank you for doing this, ladies, every month with me. I've enjoyed it. Are you guys enjoying it? Definitely. Okay. If you ever stop enjoying it, tell me, okay? <laughs> and I'll tell you too bad. Pull up your big girl panties and read the book. <laughs> no, and Kylie and Georgia will be like, yeah, who needs them? We got you covered. Right. They've got a whole like series planned. <laughs> you know, what's really funny is I'm waiting on my kids to figure out I'm cool. I think Kylie may have suddenly figured out that I might be cool. Because <laughs> after we did this podcast, um, we were here Saturday, we were working out. And uh, she said to me, so you have a book club podcast. I said, yeah. She said, do you think I should listen to that? And I went, I don't know. Are you interested in hearing about the book? She said, well, you read that book in the book club that she asked about the book, um, the Jane Eyre adjacent book. And she was like, you clearly have a lot of opinions about books. So I'm really interested. So I think I may start listening to your book club uh, episodes. I was like, go for it. I, I think that would be awesome. I said, and then I can discuss the book club episode with you later if you want. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that might be good. That might be good. <laughs> That's awesome. That was pretty cute. Yeah. That was pretty cute. Anyway. Well, thanks for coming back again for my book club. I appreciate it. So um, I say July, right? Sometime in July, we'll talk about the Authenticity Project. Sounds good. Y'all doing anything for June? Going anywhere? We're doing like a mini college tour this weekend. Oh, uh, where? I was going to say, where are you going? Uh, Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo. We're just going for a couple of days, looking at a couple of places. Um, and then we have another trip that I haven't uh, like booked anything, but uh, in July, we're going to go uh, San Francisco Bay Area and look at a few schools up there. So. Wowza. But yeah, I mean, I I don't, we have to, I guess it's that time. Yeah. I got to, I got to get on that for July. I think we may do that a little bit in July. So we're gone for June. Yeah. What you Kirsten? Where it's like a little bit, there's like a little college and a lot of other stuff surrounding it. So it doesn't feel so overwhelming. I mean, hopefully that's the goal. That's smart. Very smart. It is smart. You should explore what's around the college, too. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. Because they're not going to spend every waking moment on campus. They're going to go 
out in the town and do other things and they should see what the whole picture is. So that would be really fun. That's going to be great. Hopefully it'll be fun. I wanted to take Georgia actually had a tour scheduled of those two colleges last May and then the pandemic hit. I'd already paid for it. I was super excited for it because she was going with her classmates. Uh They were going to take like, um, I guess a day trip or an overnight trip or something and hit both schools. And I was like, perfect. That's too out of the way. Um, and it never happened and never got rescheduled. So yeah, stupid pandemic does that junior year. Uh-huh. Uh, they do an East Coast college tour. They do too. Ours does too. Yeah. Uh, and they hit like everything, like small, medium, large, private, public, like mm-hmm. everything under the sun mm-hmm. in that five, seven day period, whatever it is. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole pandemic that happened. So he didn't go. Yeah. I guess Makes not. it hard, doesn't it? Happening. Makes it kind of hard. Yeah. But oh well, we'll have fun doing that. That'll be really fun. Yeah, thanks. It should be fun. How about you, Kirsten? Going anywhere? Doing anything? Anybody coming to town? Going to San Clemente um, mm. the last day of school just mm-hmm. for a couple of nights. Oh, fun. Um, but yeah. When is your last day? Uh well, Vivian's last day is June 10th and Camille's is the 11th, but basically Camille's last full day is the 10th on, on Fridays, they just check in and then do an assign, like the assignments that were assigned on Thursday, they're not going to assign any assignments the day before school ends. No. And so the check-in is just for like for online school, it's literally 15 minutes in homeroom. And I'm like, you can do that from your phone, from our room. Like, yeah, totally. Fine. Yeah. Like in our whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That, that'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> She'd be all right. It makes the pandemic does um, make skipping out on the last day of school a lot easier. <laughs> yes. It makes us, uh, it makes taking tests a lot easier too, apparently. Cause you yeah. can say, Alexa, what's the square root of 242? <laughs> uh. <laughs> we'll see how sophomore year goes guys. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, have a great day and I'll see you when I'm back from my trips. I'm leaving to go on some Wait, trips. I know we need to sign off, but can we stay for a second and talk about this week's Girl Scout meeting? Yeah, we can. We Sorry. can. All right. So anyway, thanks guys. <laughs> and see. <laughs> I think that we should get together.